0: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha,
1: and welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Okay, so, all right, all right. Recently, Ti made some news when it came out um, that he regularly takes his daughter to the doctor to have her hymen examined her hymen examined to make sure she's still a virgin. Intact. Yeah. Um, And first of all, gross. Second of all, gross. Um, Third of all, that's not even how it works. Exactly. Fourth of all, gross. Gross. Um, And we've talked about in a couple of episodes we've done together uh, our cultural hangups around virginity and this whole idea that it somehow makes you more pure or innocent, um, that it has some value.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and I think what I see, it is such a backdated reference into which they did sell off young girls and their virginity and their worth uh, to bring prosperity to a family, which, again, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And
1: also, we've gotten letters from listeners who feel judged that they're still virgins, and so that's a part of the problem, too. Like, if you want to be... Virgin, there's nothing wrong either way, right. I guess, as I long was, as consent. Yeah, um, it's just frustrating. It is to see that we still have all of these ideas attached to this
0: thing. Right. Once again, negating what uh, sexuality is for women in the small part, as well as shaming women in their sexuality, as well as some ownership. Yeah. Often by the father, as we see with T.I. of someone's body and autonomy, which is. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't I don't know how else to put that. <laughs> um, and such a misconception and such a fear mongering on young women and young ladies or those who have vaginas in general is such an absurd pressure to put on one. As well as I just recently rewatched um Parenthood mm. and one of the main characters lost her or had sex for the first time, I'm going to say it that way, had sex for the first time and her dad couldn't even look at her, couldn't even talk to her, and all of these things. Yeah. And it's such a weird conception of the fact that there has to be, that it breaks relationships or it breaks uh, communication skills because she did something that you didn't like. And it was such a big deal. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, having sex, it does emotionally tie uh, you sometimes to people and different people handle it differently and different people connect with people differently mm-hmm. when it comes to intimacy. Mm-hmm. We know this. Um, but it's such a weird level of pressure and guilt that the character, the female teenage character was was portraying that it does. It kind of relays to all of everyone else. Of like, oh, wow, is, is this how I should feel? That I should just feel guilty? My dad's going to be mad at me?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just the way we talk about it and if you think of something like um, the Scarlet Letter, Easy A. Right. Uh, that it, all the, You go from pure to slutty. Like there's no the That's Madonna, of the whore, um, no in between. Um, and I remember in college, I don't know what, it was some kind of orientation. And I was there with a friend who I'd known since I was four years old. She and I went to the same college. And um, the uh, announcer asked, who here is abstinent? And I panicked and stood up. Because I didn't want people to judge me if they thought I'd had sex. Right. And just that level of it was almost instinctive. Cause I knew some part of me knew the judgment I would get.
0: And that's what it was for. Yeah. To single out people. Yeah. And to make you feel shame. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: this is something Samantha and I definitely wanna to return to. In, in a future episode. But in the meantime, we do have this classic episode about virginity for you. So we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I have noticed in the news that... Uh, There's some young people doing something that I had never heard of before. (laughs) Does it have to do with texting? No, surprisingly... Well, maybe. It could be involved. But no, I read about young people selling their virginity online, and I think this is crazy town. But when I looked it up, when I looked back farther, there were so many other instances of people doing this for various reasons. Uh, The most recent pair uh, were Katerina Miglioni and Alex Stepanoff. Uh, These were... Kids in their twenties selling their virginity. There was a woman a couple years ago named Natalie Dillon, although that was a pseudonym, who was doing it for school. Uh, those other two did it for to be in a movie, like, and get money and all this stuff. So uh, it's crazy to me, like, why why these young people would choose to do this? And it certainly, at least in Natalie Dylan's case, lit up the blogosphere as to like, you know, people were just. Going crazy over why she would do this, that they didn't like that she was trying to tie it into feminism. They didn't, you know, approve of her reasoning and all this stuff. So I thought we should take a look at virginity auctions and why the heck anyone would try to auction their virginity off in the first place. Yeah.
3: And by auctioning off of virginity, it is essentially someone buying the chance to have sex with that person right. for the very first time. And which, you know, for anyone out there who has had sex before, a lot of times, like the first time, that's like you wouldn't, I would not pay the money these people have <laughs> paid to have that uh, sex again, not to be TMI about it. Cause it's, it's, I mean, it's your first time. You just don't, it's not, yeah. uh, you're not experienced. Um, and also, reading all this stuff about these virginity auctions and the reaction to that, to it. It's incredible that, as in in the era of Fifty Shades of Grey, that virginity, in a way, is still a taboo. Yeah. Um, so, but let's let's go let's let's start from the present and work back a little bit. Let's talk about the uh, the film in which Katerina and what what was the fellow's name Alex. Katarina and Alex. Uh, we're part of this documentary, it, it, and the whole thing is kind of shady to me,
2: yeah, well, so there's this Australian director, Justin Sisley, who came up with the idea for a documentary in which a man and a woman would each offer their virginity to the highest online bidder. So he puts ads out seeking people, puts a website up. And he's adamant, like in all of the, like Business Week had a Q&A with this guy, he's adamant that he's not just interested in sex, young people having sex, young people being taken advantage of, anything like that. He says that his main interest is in change, and in documenting this whole hubbub, he wanted to... Portray the changes that these people are going through the entire time, and you know I'm I have the willies from just thinking about it because you. But
3: yeah, I mean obviously, like Justin Sisley is smart in knowing what will get media attention, and if you make a documentary called "Virgins Wanted." then, hey, that's a uh, good job. You're going to get some, some easy PR on that. Uh, but also the, the fact that there is this assumption that heterosexual intercourse, because it's all in like, very heteronormative mm-hmm. terms as well. They're looking for a dude for her and uh, a, a lady for him. And the, but, the, but the idea that having, having intercourse once changes you I think is also one of the reasons why virginity in a way is still this cultural taboo myth huge thing that we just can't let go of but I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself
2: well no you're exactly right and we will get into that but I think it's important to point out how much cash these people raked in oh yeah Uh, so the bidding ran uh, from September to October and the pair were scheduled to lose their virginity in the air in an airplane to avoid prostitution laws of any country uh, in about mid-November. And I have no idea. I tried to Google updates. I couldn't find any more recent updates. You know, as of December. Uh, but Katarina's top bidder was a Japanese man going by the name Natsu, who offered seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Alex's top bidder, this is a a Russian man, Alex's top bidder was a Brazilian woman going by the name Nini B, who offered three grand.
3: Yeah, and that huge pay difference, that worth, Mm -hmm. in quotes, um, for male virginity versus female virginity, is also something that we'll circle back to because that also gets at the heart of... Uh, you know the implica the major implications of the fact that we still talk about virginity so much and get so worked up about virginity, which even you know you could like really isn't even a thing. But again, I keep getting ahead of myself because there's so much to talk about. Um, And uh, not surprisingly, Katerina has received more scrutiny than Alex. There there are profiles of each of them. And the one for Alex painted him as this kind of sad and depressed kid who wanted to have sex so that he could get more, you know, gain more self-confidence and wants to find love. Whereas Katerina is just being slut-shamed left and right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, she said that she wanted to start an NGO and invest uh, in a public housing project in her hometown in Brazil, but even the director himself, Justin incisely said he was skeptical of this. To which I say, like, you know what? If you're going to auction your virginity off, who really cares? Like, I don't know, who cares what you do with the money, honestly, but... Uh, Cleon Daskalakis, who's an ex-hockey player who runs NetRaffle.org, which is a site that raises money for online charities, pointed out that some charities might actually refuse the money because, he says, this type of transaction is setting a dangerous precedent, not to mention a call for global prostitution on a one-time basis. Okay, I think that that
3: is a little bit... Overblown. I think that's also it's missing the point. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, and I think that we can get to that point a little bit more when we talk about the 2009 case of Natalie Dillon, which, again, is a pseudonym. Who that year announced on Howard Stern's show, along with uh, Dennis Hoff, who is the owner of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Nevada, that she was going to auction off her virginity to pay for her master's degree in family and marriage therapy and as part of a quote unquote sociological experiment.
2: Yeah, she uh, she posted a column in the Daily Beast where she says that I wanted to study the public's response. She said that she was doing her upcoming thesis project on the value of virginity. And so that as a women's studies undergrad, she learned that the concept of virginity, quote, is just a tool to keep the status quo intact. Deflowering is historically oppressive. Early European marriages begin with a dowry in which a father would sell his virginal daughter to the man whose family could offer the most agricultural wealth. Dads, she says, were basically their daughter's pimps. Well,
3: and one thing, though, that is that is troubling about that dowry analogy, speaking of it as a relic of a bygone era, is that, hey, guess what? That stuff still... Exists. We aren't living in some kind of like uh, post-feminist society where uh, that does not still go on. And even like India is um, one place where a lot of times, even now, money is typically exchanged between um, families when couples are getting married. And a lot of times uh, dowries have and still do equate to many times the household's annual income. Uh, So I'm just saying, you know, Dylan, do a little bit of history work first, but
2: continue. Yeah, well, so she's basically saying like, all right, if if historically women have been, you know, quote unquote, pimped out by their fathers, what's to stop me from benefiting from the value that society places on my virginity? So she's basically saying that she wanted to turn her virginity, quote, into something that allows me to gain power and opportunity from men. So using something that, you know, whether or not she herself places any value on it, she knows that society does, that men do, and she wants to see how much money she can get from the sale of this quote-unquote virtue.
3: Well, and her argument about, um, you know, y- using this in a way that allows her to gain power and opportunity with men does echo a lot of feminist arguments in favor of sex work, saying, hey, you know what, uh, I, can, I can strip, I can have sex for money, I'm just, you know using being using the turning the tool of patriarchy for Mm -hmm. my own benefit but the the whole thing of using virginity as a commodity is troubling because it still doesn't that's different from just having sex for money if that makes sense it's it's the whole thing of perpetuating the mythology of virginity that is that is problematic to me and I'm not the only one who has found you know, Dylan's, Dylan's thesis to be a little bit wonky.
2: Yeah, the whole internet basically was like, what? There was a slew of uh, blog posts, articles, and everything written about this woman after her Daily Beast column in early 2009. Uh, Carrie Polis over at the Huffington Post said that, you know what? Dylan is just proving what we already know, that virginity is still considered something of value. And Polis points out that the real problem to her is that we have someone who's willing to spend, in Dylan's case, almost $4 million to sleep with her just because no one else has. So why isn't there equal media attention about those men? About the whole cultural perception of, well she's clean. Mm -hmm. She hasn't had any other man or any other man's baby, you know, I I can, you know, verify that she's clean, so to speak.
3: Yeah, the, the whole thing, the the backlash too, is not a thing of oh, well, she's selling the opportunity for someone to have sex with her. No, if, if she wants to go to the Moonlight Bunny Ranch and have sex with someone for money, that's fine. That's not, that's not the issue here. Um, Megan Carpenter, uh, who used to work over at Jezebel, wrote at the time that she was acknowledging the patriarchal system, but rather than working to end it, she's accepting its terms and using it to make money, which serves one person, it serves her. In which case, do not try to. And this is me now expounding on this. Don't, uh, you know, use feminism as kind of a straw man for for your own little experiment that you're that you're pulling off here.
2: Right, Kate Harding at Salon, or uh, at the time, had an interesting uh, interesting take on it. She said that virginity isn't priceless, but it should be valueless. She says that objecting to the whole concept of putting a price on a young woman's virginity implies that I do believe it's priceless. And so she said that objecting to Natalie Dillon's auction puts her up there with people who, you know, uh, support Purity Balls uh the, the dances where a daughter pledges her chastity basically mm-hmm. to her father um, and so she says what i want is a world in which there are no virginity auctions because there are no bitters because nobody fetishizes a woman's purity or actually thinks of a sexually active woman as dirty and spoiled right and this
3: is something that Uh, the implications are so huge for women versus men because for men it's a stigma if you, more of a stigma if you have not had uh, sex with someone. Uh, You know, just go back to the Virgins Wanted documentary. You know, Alex, the guy, is portrayed as you know, kind of, oh, he's so sad, someone bid so that he can finally have sex. You know, whereas for women it comes with having sex, then comes with the additional burden of being stigmatized um, and one of the reasons why we wanted to title this episode what is virginity worth is because it is a little bit of a twist in that title that it should not like Kate Harding said I agree with that it shouldn't be not like worthless sounds like a throwaway we should value our bodies and have bodily integrity but I do agree that it
2: should be valueless yeah you know it shouldn't be an issue of being so titillating right, to a portion of the population.
0: This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh.
1: Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home
0: cooking fun, easy, and affordable.
4: It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number 2 plays this sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, Apple App Store, or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends.
2: But, I mean, that gets us into the whole conversation of why are we obsessed with virginity? What What is the big deal about it? So,
3: Lauren Carpenter wrote a book called Virginity Lost, an Intimate Portrait of First Sexual Experiences. And she talks about the etymology of virginity, which entered the English language in the 1200s. And by 1390, we were speaking of virginity in terms of keeping it... Versus losing it. It is this thing that we have. And from about the 12th century onward, women's physiology, this is important, women's physiology was believed to allow for a more complete virginity than men's because, quote, as Carpenter writes, the female body was hollow and therefore capable of both containing the divine and being sealed to exclude all other influences. So for centuries... Uh, a woman's virginity has been imbued with so many uh, different things as opposed to male virginity. Uh, And she offers the example of a popular 13th century poem, Hail Maidenhead, which describes virginity as, quote, the one gift granted you from heaven. Give it away once and you will never recover another in any way like it. So that was a 13th century version of what the whole giveaway, the giveaway ice cream samples.
2: Or the whole whole cow milk
3: or cows, the milk cows. Lots of dairy. Yeah, (laughs) and why? Yeah, why do we also equate like intercourse with cows? Like somehow, well, that's just weird.
2: Yeah, and this leads into uh, the Reformation, during which time virginity was viewed basically as a stage girls pass through on the way to marriage. In the 18th century, however, there was the rise in out-of-wedlock births, which became a problem for the church. So virginity became even more cherished and cult-like during this time. And then, you know, do we even need to go into the Victorian era of sexual repression and what that did to people's attitudes towards sex and cross-gender relationships? So
3: in a way, the uh, what Hannah Blank, who we've interviewed before for the podcast, she wrote um, a, a book, uh, Virginity and Untouched History, in which she talks about how it really is more mythology than fact, and it is something that has been used as a tool to... You know, make sure that women aren't causing too much trouble in society, making those out-of-wedlock babies and, uh, I don't know, enjoying themselves <laughs> or or something like that. And considering all of that history, it really isn't in- incredibly surprising that only, you know, a-, a couple of centuries post-Victorian era, we are still kind of like, we don't, you know, virginity is still this thing, the capital V
2: Right. Well, uh, Jessica Valenti, who's the founder of Feministing and the author of The Purity Myth, How America's Obsession with Virginity virginity is Hurting Young Women, had a conversation with Tracy Clark Flory, who's a writer over at Salon. All of that to say they had a conversation about virginity. And uh, Hannah Blank's book came up. You know, you mentioned Virgin, The Untouched History in which she talks about there's no actual standard medical definition of virginity, that it's completely culturally constructed. And along those lines, Tracy Clark flory says that it's often a really limiting version of sexuality that doesn't include certain types of intimacy that are pretty important.
3: Right, because, uh, you know, some people listening might think, like, I mean, obviously, like, you are a virgin when you, you're no longer a virgin when you've had sex, but... That is one kind. That's a completely heteronormative Mm -hmm. construct of one kind of penis and vagina action. Right. Like disavowing like any other kind of sexual contact that people can have.
2: Right. So basically they're arguing like does that mean that gay people are always virgins forever and ever? Well, I mean, according to this very black and white idea of virginity that we have here that we're talking about. Apparently just a large portion of the population is very chaste. Well, and I think it's problematic, too,
3: that there is so much emphasis placed on uh, penis and vagina intercourse where, you know, we have young girls wanting to, quote unquote, protect this virginity and are doing other things Mm -hmm. that are very adult that still can have, uh, you know, physical implications and are arguably as sexually intimate, if not more so. You know, and same thing goes for guys, too. I'm not saying that guys are left out of this equation either, but uh, it has been more of an onus for, for the women's.
2: Right, and I mean, this we haven't even gotten into how you can't even prove necessarily that someone is a virgin, and that's what was going along with all of these virginity auctions, was that the women had to go through medical exams to quote-unquote prove that they had not had sex, but you can still break your hymen... If you have engaged in vigorous exercise, you know, inserting a tampon. Like, just because your hymen is not intact doesn't mean that you're not a virgin. Like, there's all these other issues in this. Right, because uh,
3: we talked about this on a long-ago podcast, specifically dealing with hymens, but it's not—people imagine it as some kind of cellophane wrapper over our vagina, when in fact it's more like a donut of tissue that simply— with time wears away. So if you are, you know, if you're an old an old gal and you've never had sex, like your hymen would, would, would not look as quote unquote intact as it would. So in thinking about this whole concept of of virginity auction and the the worth of virginity, again, I I, I just think that um, even even flirting with the idea of putting a price on it only reinforces all of these things that still exist, not only in Western society, but around the world. If we're talking about money exchange, if we're talking about um, sexual stigma, if we're talking about these myths about like what the hymen does and how you can medically prove whether or not someone is a virgin, which is completely impossible, as any like sexual practitioner will tell you. Sexual practitioner, that makes it sound like... like They just practice sex. They just practice
2: sex. All the time. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, it is... Virginity is a... Social construct, a cultural construct, and women like Natalie Dillon are saying, well, I'm just going to stick it back in your face. Like, I'm just going to take advantage of your social perceptions and earn two mil- or three mil- $4, million? Yeah, $4 million in the process. Well, and
3: she did not end up doing it. The winning right. bidder, uh, I guess he turned out to be married and his wife found out and was not happy. Yeah. But then last we heard, she had found someone else. Yeah. To, to these stories
2: it. kind of trickle off vaguely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have on uh, gender and sexuality. Well, and maybe they trickle off
3: too, Caroline, because uh, you know there's so much lead up to the grand finale, which is yeah, well we we had sex, eh. <laughs>
2: and that was it. Yep. So yeah, well, I know that in the most recent. With uh, the Justin Slicely documentary, Uh, like, no sex toys allowed, no additional partners, condoms had to be used. Like It was very much like, you are just buying the experience of having sexual intercourse with a virgin. On a plane. On an airplane.
3: So they get uh, Mile High
2: Club. (laughs) I was going to make a snakes on my plane joke, but uh, never mind.
3: Oh, I like that one better. Well, um, I am going to be very curious to hear from listeners on this. Um, and we're not, again, like this is not saying that people should not be careful with their bodies and respect their bodies and, uh, you know, pay attention to things like consent. If you aren't ready to have sex, we're not saying like, everybody go have sex right now. <laughs> if you haven't had sex, you just need to, to do it. Um, we're just saying that it's time to High time to really um, examine what are we talking about when we're talking about virginity, yeah, and why do we get so worked up about it?
0: This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness.
1: Yes, and right now that is more important than ever especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chiette products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode is brought
0: to you by Arches and Halo.:
1: Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes.
0: Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have
1: professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have
0: eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils,
1: pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you.
3: Well, I've got an email here from Kirsten, and she's from South Africa. Ooh, international listener. And this is uh, in response to an episode we did a while ago where we talked about scent prints. And her subject line is unattractive scent print. And she says, uh, I just listened to your podcast on unique scent prints. And I have to say, I dated a guy several years ago who just didn't smell good to me. In fact, he smelled very unpleasant. I could tell it wasn't his deodorant or bad cologne, but his natural scent. It sounds strange, but it was almost soapy. A baby powder smell, but not quite. Who wouldn't like a soap smell? But nevertheless, it grossed me out. This upset me. I tried to ignore it and tell myself it was all in my head. But every time... I would get close to him, I smelled it. Anyway, the relationship ended pretty quickly and mutual. Maybe he didn't like my smell either. I've only met one other person in my life who had a very unpleasant smell to me, and let's just say I think there's something to the unpleasant smell connecting with unsuitability that you guys talked about. Although both dudes were great, I don't think either are suited for me at all. I just want to let you guys know about that little story because I've always thought it was strange and have never heard anyone really talk about it before. So perhaps in love, Caroline, the nose knows.
2: Okay, here's an email from Charles that combines two amazing things, Pinterest and crazy cat people. Ooh. Yeah, so he's talking about how he uses Pinterest and is trying to use it more. And he does use Twitter as well, but he says, I find that Pinterest is useful for keeping things I'd like to remember separate from my Twitter and Facebook feeds. I don't use the social feature on Pinterest, really. I'm not particularly interested in what other people are pinning. For that reason, I'm not concerned with the feminine slant on the public boards. My Pinterest is for me. Other people can look at it if they want, but it's a repository of digital reminders and brainstorming material. If I want to kill hours and hours, I go to Twitter and Facebook still. I find that the information tends to be more targeted and less of a time suck. Also, and this is where the gears change, as an owner of not one or two but three cats in a small New York apartment, I have to say that I can officially come out as a crazy cat guy. There aren't many of us, but we're out there. I have at least one friend that I'm not positive but fairly certain would self-identify as such as well. I probably wouldn't have been such a crazy cat guy if it weren't for my wife, but I'm hooked now cats really are the perfect city pet and far more loyal and attentive that people give them credit for. Anywho, he says, hope this sheds some light on the elusive New York male cat lover slash Pinterest user. So thank you, Charles you've enlightened us that was delightful (laughs) Charles I kind of want to hang out and meet your cats sometime
3: (laughs) Uh, so let us know about your cats as well momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send us letters you can also head over and start a conversation on Facebook and like us while you're at it and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and you can also check out our Tumblr blog and tumble with us at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com and if you'd like to get a little smarter this week why don't you head over to our website it's HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio.
2: Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality? At our inability to get basic things done? At the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point. But which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.